Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzari Financial Services with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. I'm Tim Priester. It's Thursday, August 30th, two days away from Notre Dame, Michigan, 7.30 in Notre Dame Stadium. We've analyzed the heck out of this, guys, up to this point, but I, I think I want to focus out of the gate on specifically what each of these teams need to do well to win. And let, let's start with Michigan. Tim, what, is, what does Michigan need to do well to, to defeat Notre Dame? I think their defense is going to play well, so what they need to do well to win is protect Shea Patterson because their offensive line, for me, is the biggest question mark in this game. I know people can point to Brandon Wimbush, but Brandon Wimbush had some seriously great moments last year. There aren't a lot of seriously great moments to point to from Michigan's offensive line. If there were, they would not have been 8-5 last year. Their defense was a 13-0 defense. And usually when they had problems, it's because their offense put them in a bind. So for Michigan to win, I think you have to see a difference in the offensive line, a stark difference. Uh, and that would allow Shea Patterson, obviously, to have a, uh, a successful game where he can... He's going to stress you, but if he's under pressure and getting hit a lot, uh, it's going to get a lot harder as the game goes on for them. Yeah, I think for me, for, for Michigan, their offensive line play has to surprise. And I know that um, you know Ed Warner is there, and I, some people around Notre Dame would be like, oh, Ed Warner, that's the guy that Notre Dame got sort of let walk out the door so Harry Heastan. I think Ed Warner is a really good college offensive line coach. He did pretty well at his next stop. He was pretty good at uh, Ohio State, and I think that he'll be an upgrade for Michigan from where they were last year. I I think the the issue with Michigan is just they don't have the material that he had at Notre Dame for sure. Um, I think between their two tackles of John Runyon and Juwan Bushell-Beatty, I believe they have nine career starts between them. And Bushell Beatty, I think, is sort of a guy who's been there forever. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was like the Robbie Toma to Manti Teo as he is, was to, um, and I'm now blanking on the guy's <laughs> name. He's with the Cleveland Browns from New Jersey. He was like a five-star all-everything out of New Jersey. Close enough. That guy who, will, enough. who will come to me later in the podcast. When you, when he it went comes to school. To Jabril Peppers. Just, um, just blurt it out yes. when it comes so, to mind. Well, here's proof that... I'm just glad Toma made the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's proof so that surprised. we do not uh, compare notes before the podcast because I agree with both of you as far as Michigan's offensive line. You know, and, and Brian Kelly pointed out Runyon at, at, at tackle. I'm not completely convinced that tackle's his best position per se. Uh, Ruiz, their center. Ben Bredesen, I think, is their, is their best he offensive is. He's, lineman. He's a although, although I may be a little bit biased because when I did his film review, I loved him. I thought, I thought he was great. But the reality is that, that Michigan's – you know, Michigan's offensive line allowed 30 sacks, 36 sacks last year. Now, I know we're, we're talking about a different group of quarterbacks that probably aren't as mobile as Patterson is, but, you know, Ohio State sacked them five times, Penn State sacked them seven times. So they're vulnerable there. Now, they run, they've run the football well. I mean, they're, when they're running backs, you know, sometimes rushing stats can be misleading because the sacks are, you know, counted in that, whereas in the NFL they aren't. But they're running backs – I think 6.1 to 5.1 yards per carry. So, you know, they're pretty good. But when it comes to protecting the passer, uh, they haven't done a great job of that. So I think absolutely in order for Michigan to win, their offensive line is going to have to play well. Now, I think it's a tougher matchup for Notre Dame's offensive line against Michigan's defensive line as opposed to the other way around. But uh, that's what Michigan needs to do to win. Now, we can probably name quite a few things when it comes to Notre Dame, Tim, but... Where would you start with what Notre Dame has to do in order to defeat Michigan? I, you know, I don't think there's going to be a lot of sustained drives on either side in this game. Um, so I think Brandon Wimbush has to hit that deep post that's coming that he consistently missed in, at inopportune times last year, such as Georgia and, of course, Miami. Uh, I don't think there's going to be such a thing as Brandon Wimbush all of a sudden making the correct hot read six out of ten times to move the chains. I don't think he's going to be effective in the screen well, game. Even if he makes the right read, right. he still well, has to execute And part it, of right? that is, we made, Pete made the joke that he wasn't that effective against air when we were watching, but let's say he's on his game. Michigan eviscerates the screen game. It's like a bunch of Manti Teos running out there against the screen game. Remember how good Teo was against the screen that basically he couldn't run one for three years? Right. Their whole defense is designed to destroy the horizontal short game that dominates college football right now because Don Brown is a great defensive coordinator. But Brand, if they're going to go man-to-man, Brandon Wimbush has to hit not only deep, a couple of those dig routes that he was had, he 
he was good at times on that last year. He can get he's got big receivers, or he's got to hit commit in the seam. He's got to get Fink one on one because look, they've talked about it a little bit. Fink one on one is tough to tough to cover. Fink in a zone, he's not as effective of a guy because he can just kind of get rerouted by some second level defenders. Wimbush is the key for me. Um, one big play with the pass, a couple of chain moving throws. And he's got to run the ball 15 times to run it effectively. So basically you're talking about the first play against Georgia where he misses St. Yeah. Brown and then the first drive at Miami where he also misses St. Brown. Both open for touchdowns. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I think the receivers will have – the Boykin-Claypool combination has to be as good as everyone says that it's going to be, including us. Um, certainly that position, without question to me, is a major upgrade of what they've trotted out against Georgia last year with Canteen, Cam Smith, and St. Brown – um, the receivers need to help out Brandon Wimbush. I think the receivers also know they need to help out Brandon Wimbush. Boykin has talked about it. Claypool has talked about it. Um, so beating press coverage is a key. And then I, I'll be very curious to see how Notre Dame's linebackers react to Shea Patterson getting outside the pocket. Um, you look at Patterson's numbers last year. As a rusher, I think that we universally overrate him. He was more of a guy that would take yeah, off he, as a, fre- as a I freshman. I mean, ultimately right? he had negative yards. Yeah, right? yeah. as a freshman he would take off. His long run running. last year was 13 yards. So he ran for eight first downs. In I think he played in seven games. So it's not he's not somebody that I think Notre Dame needs to worry about too much. If one first down on third and seven, that's fine. You can live with that. He's his, Statistically, he's not built to do the six or seven first downs. Right the way Wimbush is. Out of the pocket, he was quite good. 60% passer versus 64% in the pocket last year and did not throw interception outside the pocket. Um, in the pocket, I think maybe we're underrating his accuracy. Um, I believe in the pocket completion percentage last year was only 64.5%, I say only. But in terms of on-target throws, he was at 78%. So he gets the ball where it needs to be when he has time to throw it. Um, and I think that's this sort of goes hand in hand with what Michigan would need to do to be effective. I think the tackles would really need to hold up. And I think for Notre Dame, it's winning those pass rush, but also the Bilal, Coney, Tranquil combination of linebackers to not get sucked into trying to sack Patterson or bring him down when he scrambles. They use the term plaster with coverage. Love did and Tranquil did. I think it's going to be a real test of their discipline because they're going to see a quarterback running around in the flat, and they're going to think, I can go blow that dude up. And I think a couple times they'll probably get sucked into that. Once in a while we take something out of August and it really applies to the start of the season. And I think in Culver, day one, and on the 15th, a media day, when the quarterbacks are successful in short throws, they are targeting the middle linebackers. Oh, yeah. And they are going to target Tavon Coney in this situation. Yeah, you're, you're not going to target Drew Tranquil. Well, and, gonna, and Asmar Bilal, but Bilal comes off the field in third down, obviously. But I really think first down, Asmar Bilal and Tavon Coney, when it's play-action pass, when there's a tight end or something coming out, I mean, that can be a cheap 11 yards that can matter over no, the course ab- of the game. Absolutely. And Notre Dame, is, I mean, uh, Clark Lee has talked about it. Tavon Coney has openly talked about him having to prove that he has the ability to do that. I don't even, as far as what I think Notre Dame needs to, to do to win, I mean, you could... You know, I mean, until Brandon Wimbush becomes a completely established quarterback, we can say him every time. But I think it, I think it has to start with Eichenberg and Hainsey being, you know, being stout uh, against Rashawn Gary and Chase Vinovich. I mean, if if he has time to throw the football, well, maybe he can have success. If he doesn't have time to throw the football, he's not going to have any success throwing it. Now he may run, and that could ultimately be good for Notre Dame because you know this is something that, that your your Michigan expert brought up about pressing man-to-man. If you can get them out of press coverage, uh, or, or I'm sorry, pressing and, uh, and zone coverage, if you can get them out of press coverage, out of man-to-man coverage, and get them in the zone, well, now you have some bigger windows yeah. for Brandon Wimbush to throw, throw through. So I think it starts with Eichenberg and Hainsey. Eichenberg making his first career start, and Hainsey being a you know first-time, full-time starter on the right side, I think are – are very, very key. Gary and Vinovich are, I mean, they're just playmakers. And Vinovich is probably a bigger playmaker, you know, behind the line of scrimmage than, than Rashawn Gary is. Um, you know, Tim, I agree with you talking about Fink versus the linebackers, tight ends versus yeah. the linebackers. I think the slot receivers have to play well. And then it gets back to, you know, Claypool and Boykin on a deep ball here and there against their safeties and see who wins that. 
So and you wonder if he'll they'll move Claypool a little bit back to the slot like he played last year. Now he was in the I mean at, at times he was right. in the slot last year for different reasons. It was because right. the slot comes off the field. Right. They quit the second tight end, but I, I mean he could be a weapon in in that position. We saw him do that. We saw him do it in camp because they move everywhere in camp, and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily how you're going to see it on the field. But I feel like Claypool is a guy that can make plays from that spot as well, where you're not just sticking Miles Boykin on the boundary and asking him to beat someone. It's it's weird that they've kind of started doing that because I remember when Brian Kelly got here, he's like, well, we're not just going to stick Michael Floyd to the boundary and see if he can beat somebody, and then that's what they've been doing all the time with their boundary <laughs> receivers. So I just I do like the fact that yeah, they can move him around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and I think, I think Claypool's the perfect guy to do that. Irish Illustrated Insider is brought to you by Catanzary Financial Services. Catanzary Financial Services is a safe harbor providing guidance to clients on anything that affects them financially. Core components of this guidance include retirement planning, asset management, and estate planning. Catanzary Financial Services also leads customized educational workshops at IUSB and throughout the South Bend community. Current retirement planning classes at IUSB locations in South Bend and Elkhart, Indiana begin September 27th and run through October 30th. For more information and registration, go to training.iusb.edu. You guys were, I was in Milwaukee yesterday. Um, Vacation? T- talk, Just now, time off? Yeah. Now, for the 30, I think we figured it out finally, for the 33rd straight year to talk to the Notre Dame Club. So, obviously, I was like 12 when I first went. But, uh, and, and Hatchie, always good to see Greg Pauling, Notre Dame defensive lineman, who I thought had a great final year with Notre Dame. Uh, One of my old roommates was there. He said he did well. Yeah, he well, did, yeah, yeah. well, because yeah. I brought your name yes, up at some why, point. That's, that's, that's when he texted you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you guys uh, had an opportunity to talk to a lot of the, uh, the, I guess, the stars of the Notre Dame team yesterday. Um, Pete, coming out of that, what would you point to? Uh, there was no Brandon Wimbush. I mean, I, you can't. I, I don't want to make too big oh, of a deal. Oh, I don't, you noticed that? Yeah, I don't want to make too big a deal out of the quarterback not coming to media availability before week one when he's talked Half dozen times, sure. dozen times. He was scheduled from, to come as the point. In the bowl yeah. game, he was scheduled to come in. Um, he'll he'll talk on Saturday, hell or high water. So we'll see how that goes. But I, that was that was notable at least. Um, I thought that the love tranquil talk about when they were talking about their pa- the pass rush of Notre Dame's defense. They felt like that was the most that may be the most improved part of Notre Dame's team. Uh, if that's true, then that's sort of syncs up to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about pressuring Patterson, keeping him in the pocket, making him uncomfortable. Um, you know, and then I, I think one of the dynamics that I'm really interested to see, Priester, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, is the the Hainsey, Eichenberg, but also Alohi Gilman, Jafar Armstrong, guys who have not played. It's kind of been your line of questioning whether you want to see this. I just think that's so interesting. Not and, freshmen, and, but... Yeah, yeah. and it just sort of an underrated part of the game because it... It's going to be a wild atmosphere on Saturday night, and that could definitely spook some of the players at Notre Dame and at Michigan. I mean, sure. it's not like yeah. Michigan doesn't have some first-time contributors out there. With you know, John yeah. Runyon at offensive tackle sort of counts as one. He's, yeah. he's made one start, so it um, who man who gets that mental edge? I think is really interesting. Uh, it was fun talking to Drew Tranquil about it because he's like. You know, guys are He's up. Funny. Guys are up there. You know, you're, you're fixing your, your your tie and your sunglasses, trying to look cool, and you're looking in the stands. And I was like, "Well, how'd you manage with that?" And he's like, "Oh man, I was the worst. I'm like fixing my bandana. I'm looking at myself on the jumbotron. Oh, I'm cool. There's my fiance. Yeah, this is the best." Um, so, but there, and I thought Sam must have read some interesting commentary on Liam Meikenberg when I asked specifically about it. And Muster's point was. You are going to get beat in the game. You are going to get beat in the game. Just say it out loud. Believe it. It will happen. But you can't let the time you get beat turn into the next time you get beat. And so how Eichenberg and Hainsey deal with that, I think, is going to be really interesting to watch. That's kind of line of questioning was what what adjustments have you made? Because it's the opener, and Brian Kelly kind of got me onto something. I wrote about it right after. We see all these guys making plays. Houston Griffin is going to be a big part of the team. Shane Simon is going to be a big part of the team. This game is about being able to adjust on the fly because both of them, Mustafer and Tranquil, said, we don't really know what we're going to get. Tranquil in that Jim Harbaugh is a smash-mouth coach. They're going to run the ball, but they brought in this spread quarterback. So you're looking at what, what are you going to get on first down? I think the tendencies come along. They can figure out on third down what they're going to get. And I think Notre Dame's nickel has an advantage. 
what do you get on first down? What is Michigan getting on first down because you're not sure what to go against? And that is something that it might take a quarter. But the veteran players and the coaches, they, they believe they're going to be able to adjust to that. The oddity for me, or, or the, maybe the more troubling thing, was Mustafer said of a defense they can watch film for till they're blue in the face and a defensive coordinator. We don't know what we're going to get because that D.C. really gives people problems, and he referenced he gave us problems with Boston College. Obviously, some of that was self-inflicted for Notre Dame, but Michigan's got some better players than Boston College. And for a guy like Mustafer to say, you know what, pre-snap, you just got to fall back on technique because we do not know where these guys are coming from. And he, and he was referring to passing situations, not first down. Where, yeah. But, I mean, that's there might not be a lot of third down conversions on either side in this game is kind of what I was taking away from that. See, and, that, and, and that's the matchup. Okay, now this isn't a Don Brown versus Clark Lee isn't a matchup, right? But yet it is because Don Brown has made these calls a million times and there's a comfort. I think there's a comfort zone for him to go out of his comfort zone, so to speak, whereas... I mean, Clark Lee doesn't have any of that established, and I think he's probably, you know, a guy coordinating his first defense for the first time against Michigan is probably going to use less more than he will use more. Sure. I would say low on my list of concerns for Lee would be his ability to adjust, though, with communication with his team. I think he'd be, but that doesn't mean that he's going to call a great game. I'm saying that when he sees something, I think he's going to be able to figure out what he's seeing and be able to adjust with captains like Tranquil and guys no, that have been there. Yeah, but him. I don't think it's a matter of understanding what you're seeing. It's still the the, the corollary reaction to that after you see it. I, yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're talking in... We're talking in unknowns here, but I, I just think that you know Don Brown's not matching up against Clark Lee, but yet he is in a lot of respects because over the course of 60 minutes, I think he's going to be more comfortable with his calls than Clark Lee is. I think a good sense. way to look at that is as the game goes on, the advantage to Michigan on the defensive coordinator chair gets bigger and bigger and right. bigger. I mean, that's just, that just get, makes sense. It's the first adjustment, then it's the adjustment to the adjustment, then it's the adjustment to the adjustment to the adjustment. I, I agree with O'Malley. I think Clark Lee will be fine over the long haul. I think he probably will even even be fine on Saturday night. But I think Don Brown's probably going to be exemplary. Yeah, and I I, I said this in Milwaukee yesterday. I'd be, I'd be I'm fine with Clark Lee over the long haul. I just wish Mike Elko was coordinating the defense Saturday night. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, I know, to build on yeah. one of O'Malley's points, like Clark Lee is Houston Griffith, <laughs> and Mike Elko would have been Nick Coleman. We were just like, okay, I'm comfortable with this at least. Whereas, like, this other guy has some really nice upside for yeah. the long haul, but maybe not on Saturday night. Yeah. Anything else from last night besides Miles Boykin is smooth? No. No, <laughs> I laid back dude, huh? We yeah. asked somebody asked Miles Boykin if he was, the nerves were coming in yet. He looked at him like, what? Nerves. <laughs> so, Miles Boykin, uh, for all of you wondering, his pregame ritual is to take a nap. So, I think he's going to be ready. You got to like that. And not too worried about that. And, <laughs> and we're going to hire, hire Miles Boykin to read the Catanzari Financial <laughs> yes. Services because I, I know he's got a much better voice than my nasally voice. So, all right, that's it for segment one. We'll, we'll be, have plenty to talk about, about Northern Michigan in segment two, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. We have questions from our readers. First one is directed to Tim Priester, Irish Boy one Tim, if I understand you right, you have talked about Jeff Quinn, maybe not teaching technique as well as Harry Heastan did. Can you elaborate on this and what it might mean for this game? Well, I mean, that's based upon the feedback that, that we've been give, been given about it. That And, and, and Harry, that's the, the, what Harry Heastan is, is all about, is, is technique, technique, technique. Jeff Quinn, who I've really enjoyed listening to him and watching him coach because he coaches with so much emotion, emotion and motivation – uh, so, I mean, that, that's the difference right there. I'm not saying that he's not a, a, a good technique coach per se. So I think somebody asked, have you talked to him about it? No, I, I, haven't, I haven't gone up to Jeff Quinn and said, so I hear you don't teach technique very well. Um, and obviously there's a, a, a better way of saying that, but I have no, I have not discussed that with him. But that's the feedback that we've been given. And I, I don't want to completely discount his ability as an offensive line coach and in, in, teaching technique because he has had a lot of success when he's been on the field. Yeah, it's, Alex Bars was talking about this a little bit and said that, you know, Quinn is more more like big picture, 
motivational. But then he expected that to change midway through camp. Like, like the way Barge described it was in the early days of camp, Quinn was more in, interested maybe in like effort and intensity and physicality than exactly where your right hand is, your left hand is. And I mean, it was, I sat down with uh, Mustafa and Bars last Friday to do a film analysis. And I mean, the technical aspect of it is huge. Um, and I mean, Mustafa went as far to say, like, if you tried this one pass move, pass rush move that Georgia did on, on Alex and you use, use the right technique and Alex used the wrong technique, you would have been able to beat him. And he's talking to me, a 40-year-old <laughs> reporter. Like, So the technical aspect of it, I think, is absolutely critical. And I, there's no way Jeff Quinn has risen this far in the coaching right. profession exactly. without having a mastery of... Yeah. But, but, but the issue is that he's following Harry Heastand. Yeah, right. I mean, Harry Heastand was like, I don't know, <laughs> like a, a wizard of yeah. technique. Yeah. I mean, he, it was like supernatural in his teaching ability whereas Jeff Quinn I think is just like is good the same way that Ed Warner is good right the, the level that technique is is stressed by Harry Heastand rises above most coaches I guess and offensive I, line coaches I think he made a good point about because even Eichenberg said what Bars echoed what Bars said I talked to Eichenberg it was had to be near media day it wasn't quite that late but he said the big difference is it's about finishing your assignment right now it's not all about technique 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 but I think he's going to start bringing that in. So I'm, I'm assuming that was a big part of it since all Sam Mustafer talked about yesterday was honing your technique to combat yeah. what you're going to see from yeah. that front seven. So I don't. I think maybe it's just, yeah, the change from he's stand. There's, and sometimes technique can be too much because I remember Sam Young once told me from one-year offensive line coach Frank Verducci that they used to literally have to put their fingers on the correct spot of the defensive lineman's chest or they would be... Brought back to do the rep again. Yeah, maybe that wasn't the best. Use and of I time. would, Im- I would imagine that Liam Eikenberg might think that you know Harry Heastan was too much technique for him. Probably, now that he yeah. seems to be, as we go into the first game against two great defensive ends, <laughs> now that it seems to be that he's he's thriving at left tackle. A uh, question from Melham: At this point, is the only thing holding back Notre Dame from the playoffs Wimbush's inconsistency? Let's say you put Shea Patterson or any other good quarterback on Notre Dame's team right now. Would you all be predicting playoffs? In Indy's other strengths. If Shea Patterson was Notre Dame's starting quarterback, I would predict Notre Dame to go 11 and 1. So, yeah, I mean, I think Malham's onto something here that um, I wouldn't say that Brandon Wolf is the only concern that I have with Notre Dame, but it's by far the biggest one. Um, you know, I mean, it, Notre- it, it, realistically, it has to be. You, I don't know what else it would do. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why people are offended by the fact that we believe there's a concern that Brandon Wimbush might not be able to pass and run them into the playoffs. I've never seen a better team for two months, or not since 1993, than last year's team, and they just face-planted when Wambush went south. They went from, I can't believe how good they are after the North Carolina State game, to what the hell is wrong with this team, including up until a leaping catch by Boykin in the LSU game. Here's the like, that, I, the, the Wimbush like, tailing off the end of the year is true, but the Boston College game occurred. Like, oh, I know. Where I, that, he was like, I, there's two, there's two ambushes, but you have to be consistent. Could not throw the ball yeah. at all. Um, he ran, he ran like a maniac in that game. Yeah, Michigan State was the exception by far when he was 14 and 20 passing. So it's yeah. There, he but just a lot of that really, was the, a lot of that was what they ran in the past. It was game a good too. game plan. Yes. I mean, I thought that if everything that was said this week by Brian Kelly and all the players. The most important thing I thought was the last thing Brian Kelly said on Tuesday where he was like, look, we're going to play with the Wimbush that we have and what he can do opposed to what we want him to be or what you think he might be. Like that, there's a, that is a big step forward in like the self-awareness department. Now, if they come out and throw swing passes against Michigan, I'll be like, that was all crap. But I, I have some confidence that Notre Dame is going to be able to put together a better Wimbush favorable game plan this year. To be fair to Brandon Wimbush, I was going to bring that point up. They put him in Miami, and this isn't why they lost, but they put him in Miami. Throwing bubble screens against that rabid front seven and crowd when you're already behind. Chip Long like immediately apologized for it when, when you talked to Chip. Like, that was wrong. I wish I didn't do that. The Georgia game plan is, I think Pete mentioned it on Monday, it is impossible that you're going to come out with that game plan. No, they would never do that. So when the Brandon Wimbush, you mentioned they, they set up Brandon Wimbush for success against Michigan State, good. Set him up for success. I mean, I saw something on the board. It said... Uh, well, easier said than done. Easier said. Yeah, but you call the play. I mean, yeah. you, you run the ball, you call yeah. the plays. Yeah. He 
against USC, someone wrote, remember this is the guy that dominated Michigan State and USC. And my memory of Wimbush against USC was a really good game because he threw a couple touchdowns, ran for one, Notre Dame did everything right. You look at the domination, he was 9 of 19 still on his one of his best days. <laughs> and now, he had a great game. I mean, Brandon Wimbush was the a possible MVP of that game, but that is the Brandon Wimbush dominating is when he's yep. 14 of 23 or something along those lines. It's not going to be a day where all of a sudden he is accurate. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'm looking for other things to be concerned about because it's too easy just to say Wimbush, but, you know, I go back to the tackles. I go back to the cohesion of the offensive line, and how in the world can we completely overlook that they don't have a running back with any real playing experience? I mean, I think that's going to come well, into play. Well, it doesn't play. help Wimbush. It all no, it doesn't. It no, it doesn't. It. And I think that can come into play, especially if the tackles are struggling and you need a you need a running back to stick his nose in there and make a key block. Tony Jones is the, the best equipped, but he runs a 4-6, and I don't know how you know much you want to give him the football. I think he'll end up having the most carries of all the running backs, at least in this game. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think that I, Wimbush needs to be – he obviously needs to be better, but I think the people around him aren't. I think the receivers are better than they were last year, but certainly the offensive line is, and in no way is the, are the running backs. I know you like this, to go back to the question, in the world of unicorns, if they had a different quarterback, would you be predicting playoffs? A better, a better passing No, not, not, not necessarily, because I'm, I'm the first one to bring up the assets that Brandon Wimbush brought to the offense last year, number one, red zone and touchdowns and, and rushing. And number two, I'm also the first guy to say, Quarterbacks improve, you know. I mean, young quarterbacks generally suck. Quarterbacks that have some experience get better almost all the time, especially if you have the physical characteristics necessary, and we know that Brandon Wimbush does. Threat level midnight 44. What is your prediction for Notre Dame's offensive yardage output against Michigan? Total offense over under 350 yards. Uh, Under and... I mean, it could creep over, but if you're going to tell me it's going to go 50 yards in one direction, I'm going to go the other direction, down. I don't what if I, what if I set the over under at three hundred yards? I would be probably take a fifty one percent flyer. They might creep over, but like okay. LSU and LSU was bad weather. And at the end of the year is a little different too. LSU was about two seventy five. Georgia was about two sixty. Um, Miami was two sixty, which is a different world. Stanford was four hundred something. A lot of that, you know, they got some yards. Stanford, I mean, Stanford, they, they almost won with our formula. Brandon Wimbush hitting a couple big passes in, in, until he combusted right. there. So. Yeah, I think people forget Notre Dame was winning in the fourth yeah, quarter. Yeah, they, they, it was just a bad quarter. Um, I would say under 350 yards, uh, Michigan generally will do it. They held, I believe they held Wisconsin to well, 350. I, they held Michigan State. Notre Dame State 158 yards rushing on four yards of carry. That's pretty successful. If Notre Dame gets 158 yards rushing and four yards of carry, I think that'll help Wimbush. Um, but I would go under 350 yards, and maybe for both teams. I don't want to give away my prediction, but I think Michigan might be- get more yards, but not more of something else. What points? Points. Oh, yeah. points. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I know. I know people. Punts. Yeah. Yeah, punts. <laughs> I know people grow weary, <laughs> like Colin Kareem Sacks, 277. Yeah. I know people grow weary of last year's stats, but it's the first game of the year, so that's all we have to go. All with. right. I mean, the right? defenses it, are coming back too. It's right. Not crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, right. That's that's the key point, point. and it's interesting uh, that threat level midnight 44 used 350 yards as the demarcation because. Penn State had 506 yards against uh, I don't Michigan think last year. Notre Dame will have that offense against Michigan. Uh, on, on Ohio State they had were more proven at the yeah. running back position. Penn State. Ohio State had 350 exactly, and nobody else had as many as 350 yards total offense against Michigan. So with the with the bulk of that defense back, uh, I think it's just it's going to be really really difficult. The 47 and a half, I think the over under line. I mean, it's just to me that's. It has to be short pretty, fields for that to happen. Yeah, it's pretty. That's a pretty astonishing number. Which, you know, when they set that line, they know exactly what they're doing. So it's it's astonishing, but it has to tell us something that somewhere some points are going to be scored here. Uh, but you know, the the young, <laughs> people are wrong too sometimes. No, they're wrong. Yeah, no, I mean it, it, it can be, but for it to start at that level yeah. is very very surprising. But three hundred fifty is just going to be very difficult against Michigan. Irish 11:37. Since it's been reported on the Michigan side that Patterson is great on the move, i.e., rollouts, do you see Bilal acting as a spy? Also, do you see Andy bringing more blitz and playing man-to-man or more zoned to cover their big tight ends? Um, I think for the coverage aspects of it, they'll have to mix it up, which 
to make Patterson slightly uncomfortable. I don't think they'll, they'll use Bilal as a spy, basically because Patterson is much less of a threat running the ball than, than people realize, which I think we talked about already, but he ran for eight first downs last year and had a long run of 13 yards. So if you're in man and you're following the receivers and the, your back's to the quarterback and Patterson takes off, the damage being done there is probably going to be a lot less than linebacker thinks he can go get Patterson, doesn't get there, and Patterson finds a superior athlete wide open um, to run for a 30-yard gain. So, I, yeah, I think Patterson is really good on the move when he's rolling out, throwing on the run, getting outside the pocket. But um, I don't – I think that the impact of that on the game will be more if Notre Dame's linebackers make a mistake and try to go get him and leave a guy open, opposed to Patterson taking off and running. Yeah, I'm concerned about their tight ends, especially with Tariq Blackout. I mean, they emphasize the tight ends anyway, and, and with Blackout, they're probably going to emphasize them even more. I think this is a fascinating question because I don't really know how to answer it. I know Clark Lee is a, quote, Mike Elko disciple, but certainly he's going to have his own imprint on his defense. So will he run more man than Elko did? Will he run less zone? You know, I mean, what will he... Will he spy with guys? How much will he blitz? When will he blitz? Where will the blitz come from? I'm not sure that we have answers to those things with Clark Lee. I, again, I know that he's he's uh, you know a disciple of Elko, so I would imagine uh, that they, he will be very much like him. But Clark Lee once pointed out that you know I helped him develop this and suggested adjustments from year to year to him. So maybe there's some adjustments that he has. Uh, that he suggested to Mike Elko along the way that that uh, were never implemented. So I don't really know the answer to it. I, I you know I, I I would be lying if I said that I had enough of a sophisticated opinion about this to to, to give a real valid answer to the question right now. I did ask Clark Lee. Do you basically are you going to no, are, are you going to blitz more this I, year? I, I actually was there when you did yeah. ask him that, and yes. he was just like. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> yes. why would I tell you you're a reporter? No, it's basically like if you send one more guy to get pressure, you're taking, you're removing one more guy from coverage, and so it's just it, there's a give and a take there. Um, but I, so I think the answer will he appreciably blitz more than Mike Elko is no. I think it's going to be very similar. Yeah, and I think a young defensive you can't answer that right now with a young defensive coordinator. He doesn't know. He doesn't know exactly how he's going to react to situations, and, and that's why a Don Brown I think is more. You know, hell, I'm got. Let's let's just go for it. He's a, he's aggressive by nature. Um, Sounds like you're describing John Tenuta. So, uh, John Tenuta is mentioned in Thursday Thoughts because I was driving to Milwaukee and I drive by. <laughs> I see a sign for Tenuta's Italian Deli, and that's when I sped up. <laughs> he thought he's gonna yell at you. I just had to. I had to get out of there. What are you doing here? Why do you want to talk to me about defensive backs? Yeah. I, I know. Uh... I looked for. I looked for Van Gorder's vineyards, but I didn't yeah. find that. Sign. You can find Van Gorder's Van Gorder's vineyards splattered all over the field uh, in the opener against Alabama because that's going to be a problem. I can't wait to see that. Okay, uh, dashing Domer, what do you anticipate enjoying the most about Notre Dame versus Michigan? A game happening. <laughs> I mean, that's honestly it. There's the first. The, by the time the first game gets here, you've written for nine months or eight months about like what yeah, might not, happen or how it might. Right. Fit it's together. not like it's Temple where we've been speculating. Even know, that where, is where good. Where we have <laughs> Even that, that I'm desperate no, for. That, that would be good. It's just that we didn't speculate for nine, eight months about yeah. playing Temple. This. <laughs> Absolutely, every step of You're the way. You're saying our Ball State will not have quite as much detail in the podcast oh as this one. But no, this is my favorite question because I know why I was asking it. I saw a post on the board. This is my favorite. I'm glad this question made the cut. This is my favorite sporting event of my life growing up is Notre Dame and Michigan. I've been to 19 games in Notre Dame, Michigan. 9 9 and 1, fittingly, just like the series 15 15 and 1. I don't count the uh, Woodrow Wilson or the uh, William Howard Taft era there. Um, this game has always been, if you live in northern Indiana and grow up in Notre Dame or Michigan fan, means a lot more to you if you're my age than USC because Notre Dame didn't lose to USC from, if you're my age, from fourth grade until you graduated college. So you didn't really think it was that big of a deal. This has always been a great rivalry to have here. I am the one guy in the world that never wanted to see it end. I'm the one guy in the world that likes starting with it, other than if, even if I wasn't reporting on it. I think that this is this used to signify the beginning of college football for me if it was week one, two, or whatever in September, because most of the time you didn't have the uh, back then you didn't have the great, and even even now this is on campus is way better. You didn't have the Alabama always playing 
someone really good to start the year in week yeah. one or something along those lines. Um, this is my favorite game to cover, and it was my favorite game to go to growing up. I, I can remember every game without blinking. And I'm 0-6 at Michigan, so... <laughs> I won't go next year. So don't get yeah, it. So yeah, don't go. Well, I did suffer through some of those USC losses, yeah. but I, I, I the the reason it's exciting to me is I I find the the mutual hatred, and I think Notre yes. Dame's for Michigan might be greater than Michigan's for Notre Dame. Even I just find it really fascinating because I just think as a whole that Notre Dame fans don't necessarily look at USC that way, and I'm not really sure why that is. USC fans aren't around them as much as a part. Maybe it is. I mean, you, when you go to USC, I mean, USC fans aren't. I mean, they're not. They're not like Miami fans as with no, regard to Notre Dame. <laughs> I think there's a mutual respect there with Notre Dame, Michigan. There's a mutual hatred, and I find it interesting because I just communicated with Mark Edwards last night, and he's all psyched up about Notre Dame beating Michigan. I talked to Ned Bolkar a couple weeks ago, and he's all psyched up about Notre Dame, Notre Dame beating Michigan. And I'm driving to Milwaukee yesterday. And I stop to, to grab a coffee, and I run into Lee Becton, and Lee Becton's all excited about, first of all, he's checking to see on my health, but secondly, he's all excited about Notre Dame beating Michigan this weekend. Did you see Rocket or Ross Browner this weekend? No, I did No, if I had seen Ross, I would have dragged him along with me. I think uh, it was this was dynamic has been best put to me by a Notre Dame fan who I've known for a long, long time, and he's, the way that he describes it is, USC is our rival, and Michigan is our enemy. That's, yeah, and that's I think great. those that's those, those dynamics sum up the the vibe around the program. As a sports fan, Pete, do you like rivalries based on hatred or mutual respect when you want to watch it and cover it? <laughs> <laughs> Would you prefer to see on the field hatred and bitterness and or just mutual respect? I I'm, I'm more in the first camp yeah, there. Yeah, I think so. So that's how and I mean that's look. There are not two less biased, I would think, reporters covering Notre Dame that went to Notre Dame. This is the one game where I'm like, man, I really kind of hope to beat Michigan. You know, one oh, of those yeah. things where it's not the same for other games. I mean, I just distance myself from it. And this, I, this is a great rivalry if you grew up in it. And if you didn't grow up in it, then don't talk about it to me. Because I don't, I don't respect your opinion at all. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, it is, it's pretty cool. The first time Nordane played Michigan, I mean, reviving the, right. the, the game, I was a... Um, I was a freshman in college, so like yeah, as a kid, you grow up. It's like, well, well, they, they don't play. They don't play Michigan. Doesn't make much sense. They used yeah. to play Michigan all the time. Look, they haven't played Michigan in thirty some years, and so at that point in my life, when it was resumed, it, it it was pretty cool. And then, you know, I mean, during the Holtz years, it was a great, great game. Holtz versus Bo yeah. Schembechler. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's good stuff. Yeah. Check plus for uh, Notre Dame, Michigan. Check minus for the civil conflict. That's basically <laughs> what we're settling on here. In the 615, more likely scenario one, Notre Dame loses to Michigan but gets to the bye week 6 and 1, or two, Notre Dame beats Michigan, starts 4 and 0, but loses to both Stanford and Virginia Tech. One, one by a lot. By a million miles, yeah. Yeah, I point. To, I, I mean, just, they could lose I one point, of those two other teams, right? I point yeah. back. I point back to last year when yeah. coming out of the Georgia game, when you know I felt really, really strongly that okay, Notre Dame's going to reel off some wins. Um, I do think if they lose to Michigan, they might be five and two after that stretch. But I don't think if they're four and zero, they're going to go out and lose back to back games to uh, Stanford yeah. Tech. I don't agree with that. I getting back to I said this in Milwaukee yesterday. I, I want to play a Stanford team whose strength is not their defense. I mean, they're good. They're good offensively, and they're going to have their hands full with that offensive line and Bryce Love. But I'd rather play a Stanford defense that doesn't have one, or a Stanford team that doesn't have a suffocating defense. It doesn't have robots at linebackers yeah. coming off an assembly yeah. line like Carbaugh did. That yeah, was a problem. And, and Virginia Tech is. I mean, they lost a ton of talent for a variety of reasons, especially on the defensive side of the ball. From Twitter, Dylan Alley, fourth quarter, two minutes left. Notre Dame down two, ball on its own thirty. Which quarterback do you want in the game, Brandon Wimbush or Ian Book? Assume the game's going the way I think it's going to go, where it's about 12-10 at that point. I'd want Ian Book in. Is it 30-28? to 28? <laughs> I'll, I'll keep Brandon Wimbush in and roll out and mm, keep scoring. That's, you know? that's I mean, if, it, if, if he's doing well, I want Brandon Wimbush in. If it's been a struggle, yeah, I, I want the other guy in. I mean, I, I love the question. This, this is a great question. Yeah, and this, he has a second one here, too, that we'll get to. But, I, I yeah, it, it, I mean, it really is. I... I you know, I'm going to play the sports writer here. It depends on how the game has evolved up to that point, how Wimbush has played, you know, a lot of a lot of variables. But, uh, you know, well, let's put it this way. If they need a touchdown they were in the red zone, I would definitely choose I would definitely choose Wimbush because of his track record from last year. 
And his follow-up is, assuming some availability bias, what's more likely for Notre Dame fans, the 2018 Michigan offense being underrated or the Notre Dame defense being overrated? I would say the UM offense being underrated. I don't know that – I mean, I don't know that uh, Notre Dame's defense, I don't think anybody well, – that's not true. I got somebody that said they think it's going to be a top 15, maybe top 12 defense. I don't I don't think it's going to be that good. I think it'll be – I think Notre Dame's defense can be a top 25, top 30 defense. Uh, but but the thing with you, Michigan's offense being underrated, it could very well be, and that could be because of Shea Patterson, depending upon what he does this season. Yeah, I don't think Andy's defense is overrated, and other than maybe was it in June there was some outlet that threw out top five defense. Remember they did top five defense in the country, and they just appeared all of a sudden, as if out of nowhere. That would be overrated. But I like Nordheim's defense. There's I don't, and Michigan's offense yeah. might be better than we think. I so mean, we, we that's think, the choice. I mean, Michigan's we, offense, right? Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I hate the overrated, underrated question because it, it has everything to do with perception and nothing to Which, do with who's actually on the field. Yeah. Like, some Notre Dame players were on defense, Tranquil in particular, was being asked, do you think you guys are being overlooked defensively? And he's like, not really. A lot of people are talking about us and we're going to be good. Like, what do you, I, so, I'm not sure. I, guess, I don't understand questions. Like, I think, I think Notre Dame's defense. Neither did Dalen Hayes. He was yeah. not a fan of that question yesterday. I think Notre Dame's defense will be good. <laughs> I think it's properly rated, and I think Michigan's... That's, that's our favorite here, properly rated. I, I, right? think, I think Michigan's offense will be fine, but not great. I think it's probably also properly rated. For me, with Notre Dame's defense, you can't, you can't... You're not a great defense if you're giving up four yards per carry. It's, you, you've got to make significant inroads there uh, before you can be considered a great defense. And I'm not... You know, Notre Dame has a, a, a very... I think a very good defensive line with very good depth, but is it a huge playmaking D-line? We, we we don't know that yet because it wasn't last year. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I just think they'll be better than they were last year. Right, when they were but good that's, last year. But that's, I'm not saying they're top 5 or top 25 or top 50 or top 120. Well, like, they were, I just they think were, they're good. Yeah, they were top. They'll, they'll uh, be the top 120. They were 29th. Were they 29th in scoring or were they 29th in total defense? I mean, I think that's about where, I think that's about where yeah, they are. I, I think they had uh, a bad game. And other than that, they're really defense. I mean, what that's, yeah, that I, did a great job. They, they, everybody scored under two touch. Eleven teams scored under two touchdowns. One of them that didn't is because they kept getting a short field. All right. Would you consider? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's that's what it was. Would you consider Jerry Tillery a dominant defensive lineman, or do you think he's going to become a dominant defensive lineman this year? Because if you do, if you think he will, okay. Well, then now, you know, okay. Now they have a chance to be a great defense. I think he he put up big numbers last year. He made significant strides last year. But how many more strides is he going to make this year? Maybe the the position change will, in and of itself, will help him make more strides. I think he'll be very good and probably put up, what, 10 and a, 10 and a half, 11 and a half tackles for loss. So, Mally and I, we can discuss this we in the press box later. Officially, uh, for the bet later. This one from uh, D. Seller Smith from Twitter. What are your most thrilling ND Michigan games you've seen? Whew. One victory and one defeat. Um, I mean, the game in 2011 at Michigan was, was amazing. Uh, it was hard to even like make sense of like what was happening. Um, I had to delete was, my whole gamer. It was so loud, um, <laughs> and just back and forth. And then, I mean, even my vantage point. I remember I was uh, as far as I possibly could be from like where the Gary Gray touchdown and busted coverage was. I was like in the opposite corner. Uh, and then I remember interviewing people in like a maintenance shed after the game because like they were renovating the stadium or something yeah. and they hadn't finished the away media room. So that was uh, that was not good. And then um, <laughs> you know, I don't know if this is like the most thrilling win I saw, but like the uh, twenty the two thousand four Darius Walker game here when they're zero one going in. It was yeah because they're just like they're gonna get run off the field and you know a freshman running back and I was like oh yeah that was I mean it was a dramatic moment and like yeah obviously the the when the Notre Dame won at Michigan in two thousand five was pretty wild as well. I, man, I got so many. Yeah, I can't. Me I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, because I'm going to list. I mean, I, I have to list a few. I go ahead. Yeah, I think for uh, for, for a loss. Uh, I mean, a couple come to mind. They have to be, as I said, an zero and six traveling to Michigan as a reporter or as a fan or as a student. Um, I just somehow didn't go my junior year in 1993. That was a good call on my part. The best game they've ever played there. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, though, I think the thrilling 
or the, the defeat that was incredible. My senior year was uh, 1994, Ron Paulus's second game, which honestly, considering the opponent was better than his first game against Northwestern, he throws the what should have been the game winner to Derek Mays. Todd Collins drives him down for a game-winning field goal when you're a senior at Notre Dame and you're number three in the country, and the season kind of ends there from what Notre Dame used to be. You know, look, that's the national championship right there. That one was awful. I was much younger in Lou Holtz's first game. Uh, I was probably, you know, inordinately mad after yeah. that one. But for th- there's been a lot of throwing losses, unfortunately, in this series for both sides. For the win, I mean, it's any of those 88 to 90 when they won three in a row. Uh, I-, I would actually go with 90 because it's almost like when you're a fan and you're younger, there's a crescendo. 88 was kind of surprising. 89 was... We're the greatest team in the world. There's no yeah. one there. Everyone's going to lose. And then 90, you can start seeing it slipping away a little bit because there's some dude you never heard of on Michigan running for 200 yards in his first start. John Vaughn. Like, how did this happen? Yeah. So maybe that was the one where I'm in high school and you're just like, under the lights, Rick Myers' yeah. first start would be the most thrilling. Rockets, two kick returns in in, uh, in 89. Again, then, didn't go to that game yeah, for some no, reason. Well, Ro- Rockets, <laughs> two, two kick returns. Because, it's because you know, it's just that... That Bo Schembechler stubbornness. I don't care if he returned one for a touchdown. I'm gonna kick it to him again. Okay, we'll see what happens there. But I don't. You know, I think Charlie Weiss's first year when he, you know, when when that was stunning to me. Even though I had gone to the Pittsburgh game and I stayed home in Atlanta for that Michigan mm-hmm. game, I was I was amazed that they beat them there. Really? Yeah, seventeen to ten. I mean, that you know, Charlie Weiss starts out two and zero, and you think that this guy is the answer to everything, and within two years he's. He's not, but uh, you know, to, uh, I, I, I really got a I really got a great kick out of thirty one nothing that was thirty seven nothing, but they took it off the board in twenty fourteen. I mean, I, I, I was, just enjoyed that the crowd was back at Notre remember, Dame. That was so yeah, good to see. Remember when really... I was giddy at Oklahoma? <laughs> yeah, yes. I was I was I was giddy after the thirty one nothing win over. Michigan. That is the most popular tweet I've ever had in my life this Monday. When I put the thirty seconds oh. of "Hey, hey, goodbye" <laughs> up on Twitter, yeah. I cannot. I mean, it's, yeah. it's still coming in. It's, yeah, and then losses. You know, the come from ahead blowout loss in in twenty thirteen, the forty one thirty game. I just uh, those losses. That I mean, the the, the worst loss has to be the Tate Forty Eight loss, right? Oh yeah, it was a bad one. I mean, but that's not thrilling. I'm just like this is ridiculous. But you're watching yeah, that was, the game. That was, was Golden Tate, Michael Floyd, Kyle Rudolph. And Jimmy Clawson. Well, they played well. It was just everybody on the other side that was new low. Speaking of Harrison Nuda, Smith, Darius Fleming. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of John Tanuta. Yeah. That game was bad. Um, this is I'm going to end on. But at Ben Blockage, can you talk about Michigan's losses last year? Let's do this one quickly uh, so we can get to our predictions. Some really good teams, but they allowed a lot of points against them. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me rattle off their wins. You tell me how impressive these are. Florida fired its coach. Cincinnati Air Force, Purdue, Indiana, and overtime Rutgers, Maryland about to fire its coach. I mean, that's those were their wins last year. It it they felt very they feel very very hollow based on what they did last year. How relevant that is to Saturday, I don't know. Um, but it's not. I think Notre Dame sticking with the run game throughout Saturday night will be important. I think if that despite that would, success. That would be a takeaway from Michigan's or losses despite last despite lack of success. Yeah. Oh, just yeah. yeah, despite whatever right. whatever right. happens. Right. Losses last year, teams that ran the ball for a high number of carries consistently beat Michigan. I don't I don't think any of the teams they beat from a Power 5 conference ran for 40 carries and lost to Michigan. No, Michigan and, lost all those. In Nordheim State or Nordheim. Uh, Michigan's defense only gave up 350 yards total offense once last year. But in their five losses, listen to what Michigan's offense did. Michigan State, 300 yards total offense, 2.6 yards per carry, sacked four times. Penn State, 269 yards total offense, 2.5 yards per carry, sacked seven times. Wisconsin, 234, 1.6, two sacks. Ohio State, 295, 2.8 yards per carry. I mean, they averaged over five yards per carry, but in their five losses, it was 2.6, 2.5, 1.6, 2.8, 2.2. 2.2. Your defense is stre- is so stressed in those situations. And in their five losses, they gave up 506 yards to Penn State, but nobody else had more than 350 in the other four. Which leads me to my prediction. We've talked about this a few times. Tim painted myself into a corner with an early Notre Dame will beat Michigan. Monday Musings prediction. But honestly, I think the reason I keep... Going back and forth on it is there's a little recency bias. There's too much information I have on Notre Dame where I tend to see, oh, this could be an issue, this could be an issue, this could be an issue. And then you forget that 
despite Michigan's defense being the best unit on the field, probably, the worst unit on the field cannot be hidden, and it's the offensive line for Michigan. And I think Notre Dame's defense is the second-best unit on the field, and that's a matchup where I give Notre Dame a big advantage at home. Uh, I do not think Brandon Wimbush is going to have an efficient game. I do not think that Shea Patterson will have an efficient second half. I think both offenses are going to struggle in the second half. If it's raining, you can lop seven points off both sides of this one because we don't know what the weather's going to be yet, but it could be an issue. <laughs> zero to so zero? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still, they will score in the so negative. No, the over-under is 12? Uh, my over-under is about 12. No, I, I, I figure there'll be some short fields because of the defense, and I'm in the 19-17 Notre Dame range. Um, short fields and who converts in the red zone is everything because third down is going to be so heavily slanted to the defenses. It's better to punt. Remember the punt. Don't it turn it over. Remember no, to punt. No doubt. I yet. Yeah, I don't know. I am so uncomfortable with <laughs> with every, like predicting Michigan or Notre Dame in this game. Cause I just don't. I just don't know. Um, I think I'm ultimately going to go with Notre Dame, like in a 2019, to take a page from the the Georgia game last year or a final score from the Georgia game last year. I, but. The the conditions might be a factor. Um, we, talk, we don't know that for a point, so I yeah, just don't want to. It's possible. Yeah. We talk, you know, Miles Boykin and Julian have both talked about it last night, and Julian Love said, you know, people always think that's a negative for the offense, but the defense that that can turn into a negative for you really quickly. Um, you know, when you lose your footing a little bit. So, I ultimately, I, I with. You mentioned the, the punting aspect of it. I think Tyler Newsom will be fine in these conditions, whether it's it's bad uh, conditions or loud or hostile or whatever. Uh, Justin Yoon will be fine too. Um, you know, maybe maybe special teams is where Notre Dame is just one point better than Michigan because I I agree with what you're saying, O'Malley. The best unit on the field is Michigan's defense. Uh, I'm not sure I agree that Notre Dame's defense is the best, or the second best, but they're. They should be really, really good, and if they can be disciplined at the linebacker position, then I think that Shea Patterson is is not going to be the reason um, that Michigan would be able to, to come out with a win. I think Notre Dame, every Notre Dame fan should feel good about Notre Dame's chances going into this game. Uh, every Notre Dame fan should feel like uh, you know Notre Dame's going to win the football game. I, I get that. I don't know. I, I, I you know I think certainly Notre Dame is capable of doing that. I think it's just, I mean, as close, Pete, like you said, I mean, as close as it is, it's a, it's a play in the fourth quarter. And uh, as I always say, I reserve the right to change my opinion based upon uh, uh, our uh, O'Malley's and, and my preseason prediction from uh, just a week ago. I have until... <laughs> yeah, I mine was in May. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of information this week. I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I'm like a chicken. I'm a nervous bird. I, I, I can't make... I, I can't... I can't make the pick until I absolutely have to on Friday, which is exactly what I will do once again. And uh, we'll see what happens. I Look, we're all, I mean, in a, in a, we're the same way every year. We can't wait for the start of the season because we've been speculating so much. But obviously, Notre Dame, Michigan, under the lights, game one, you know, the tradition of under the lights, Notre Dame and Michigan is fantastic. And we're looking forward to it. O'Malley and I will be on the field pregame with the uh, pregame analysis. Tim, you got something to add? We'll be back with another 53-minute podcast for Ball State, too, next week, probably, right? <laughs> think that'll happen? I think yeah. on Monday our yeah. podcast <laughs> might go long, though. Yes, they could. All right, that's it for Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzari Financial Services. We'll talk to you on Saturday.